got expensive, cause when is expensive. Yeah, yeah. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been out of water. And I've been shutting out the stars. Cause when it rains and it pours. Happy Thanksgiving Eve and welcome to Put That Coffee Down. Some of you working, some of you grinding hard, because I know I am. I'm Dooner and I know the man in California while well, he's on vacation in Palm Springs, but he's still putting some time on that clock. His name's Kevin Hill. I am. I'm still grinding it out. It's not Thursday yet. It's not Thanksgiving yet. There's time to sell today. So let's get I- to it. I got to tell you something. One thing I hated when I lived out in Southern California, the thing I really hated about Thanksgiving was one, I was like used to the weather being cooler from being from the Northeast, but I never wanted to eat a ton of food because when it's just like hot out and you have to wear, you know, lighter, tighter clothes, you just don't want to like pig out all the time. It's not as conducive as East Coast weather is where you, you know, you need a layer of uh, protection. Yeah. Yeah. You go in, you get turkey, you get dressing, you get all these fall cold weather favorites. And out here, it's, it's like Mediterranean. It's just like a lot of light food, fish, because it is hot outside. You know, it's still shorts weather out here, which is kind of fantastic, really. Well, you know, Kevin is such a good guy that he is actually uh, at a viewer's house right now helping them because they have an injury. So, Kevin, I want to congratulate you on that. You're not just celebrating Thanksgiving. You're, uh, I mean, she may be your sister, but you're still taking the time out to do it, right, Kevin? <laughs> I, I am, you know, I'm taking time out, helping her out, doing her laundry, making her coffee, getting her in and out of places. She's hobbling around. She fell in her garage on, on cardboard uh, and, and broke her leg in two places, pins and rods. And, you know, the community that, you know, El, what's it, Del Boca Visarilla uh, down here, um, you know, the ambulance had to come get her. All the old people are out of their houses watching. So... But, yeah, just helping her out. Well, Jordan Simpson here says, Closers only, ABC. Oh, look who's here. It's Rhonda. Uh, Brandon Ferrari says, Happy Thanksgiving, Kevin. Hopefully we can connect soon. He does not wish me one. I don't know what that's about. Andy <laughs> Henry says, uh, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Blight says, Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Looking forward to next week. Yeah, you guys are the grinders. You're the grinders. Thanks for uh, joining us yeah. on the show today. And you know what? You know what? We're keeping it all in the family, or at least all in the alumni, because we are going to be talking about sales coaching today. And uh, this guy, Brad McBride, he comes from uh, a little place you know, know quite well. Kevin Hill, it's uh, Oklahoma, right? He's Oklahoma Sooner. Tell me a little bit about our guest today. Yeah, Brad McBride. He played on the uh, University of Oklahoma Sooners, Boomer Sooner, the 1985 National Championship team. You had a lot of great characters on there. They were a great team. Uh, you know, Troy Aikman. Started out the season as quarterback, broke his leg in the second or third game, had a freshman quarterback come in. You had Brian Bosworth, Tony Casillas. So you had a lot of interesting personalities, and but it takes an entire team to, to, to win a national championship. And just the same way in, in sales and business, it's all about teamwork, everyone doing their role, their part, uh, you know, practicing, being the best that, that, that they, they can be. To, uh, to to accomplish, you know, 2020, especially like 2020 sales goals, bonuses, all all that good stuff. Let's get into a little of good marketing or bad marketing. Here's a, an interesting blog I was reading earlier today from a, it was Adage, and it was talking about six issues you'll never see in truly excellent marketing copy. The points they brought up, and tell me if tell me or stop me if any of these stick out to you, but they were complicated jargon. Too many words, a boring opening sentence, jarring assumptions about the target audience, bad spelling, grammar, and information. And number six was excessive repetition. 
I think what I see all the time, whether it's in, especially in freight sales, whether it's freight brokerages, trucking companies, and freight tech as well, one of the the, the, the most glaring is too much jargon. Yeah. Too much industry words, too much jargon. Everything sounds alike. Uh, a lot of, especially tech companies, you go in, you look at their website, you have no idea what they do. You have no idea what problems that they can solve. No idea whatsoever. So you, I think you find that in, in freight all the time. What do you think, Dinner? I think you do. And I think the problem in freight a lot of times is uh, it's great that there's so much tribal knowledge, but a lot of times that tribal knowledge makes people use language that may be exclusive to their organization or to a side of their business, but it may not be as resonant to the person that they're trying to, to sell to. They may not be familiar with those terms. So you want to you want to keep it a little bit simpler, right? You want to uh, explain things. You want to explain them quickly. You want to explain them succinctly and you want to do with impact. You want to create a little bit of a feeling and a little bit of excitement, right? Create excitement. Don't don't create features mm-hmm. don't that, that's my uh, that's my advice on these ones yeah because uh, you know all six of these but certainly the, the jargon too many words boring opening sees or sentence what, what you have you combine all those three onto a website or marketing materials and what you have is you sound just like everybody else and it's hard to differentiate yourself it's hard to stand out from the crowd if you use the same jargon the same buzzwords the same boring language too many words over explaining uh, things in, in your marketing copy or copy, uh, you do. You, you sound like everybody else. You don't stand out. People are going to forget you and your company's name five minutes later. One thing that happens a lot, and I consider emails to be marketing copy. That Maybe that's just me, but I think yes. that if you're writing emails, you should kind of consider that to be marketing copy. And one thing I see all the time on LinkedIn Navigator for, for in-messages, I also get in my inbox, is those jarring assumptions about target audience. And this typically happens because you have an AI-based email software, which by AI, they just mean it pulls names out of your CRM. And if your name or industry is wrong in there, you get some pretty jarring stuff. Like that one we get to the media account all the time, calling us a Texas uh, steel industrial producer who could really use their services yeah. <laughs> like you know clean out your crm just a little bit especially if you're seeing a lack of interactivity between these accounts that you're targeting exactly right the next company name that i pick out is going to be percentage sign company name percentage sign because i get so many linkedin messages and email messages where that's what they call my company name because no one's filled it in yet um but yeah it's it's you have these ai kind of jargony things and you're asking for you know, 15 minutes of, of your time, of prospect's time, but you're not even talking to the right prospect as well, right? Kevin, that's a lovely lemon behind you, by the way. Is that an Andy Warhol original? I don't know. If I, well, I know it's not an original. Is it Andy Warhol? I, oh, I, I don't know. know. I, I got to move to the other side. It's a guess. I like the citrus. It's making me thirsty. It's, it's kind of a California, Italian, you know, Italia, Mediterranean type of, of, of print. Blythe says that the average person reads at an eighth grade level, so if they don't know your jargon, use the keep it simple, stupid method. Yeah, that's the K-I-S-S. Andy Hendricks says, uh, is a fellow boomer sooner? Right, Kevin is a fellow boomer sooner. Yeah. Also, great job in landing the top talent guys. As you said, national champion, super exciting. Um, here's a sales hot tip, and it kind of goes in line with some of this copy to be sending people, but it's, mm-hmm. uh, I guess it's step seven, and that is stop asking for time. Right. Stop asking for 15 minutes of people's time. Everyone sees through it. Everyone knows it is BS. Instead, try to seek interest for that time. Interested in the conversation, not can I have 15 minutes? Because all I hear and all most people hear when you say 15 minutes is that you're just going to lie by omission to, to kick me through the sales process by telling me whatever I want to hear. 
And you're exactly right on that. Everyone's lying to you. 15 minutes. I'm going to take as long as it takes. But I'll tell you 10 or 15 minutes just to, to – I. The philosophy is to, to get you in the door to say yes, but it doesn't really work because everyone knows the game. Uh, it goes back to what we've been talking about. I, n- I know the last couple of weeks, just assume it, just assume that they're interested, you know, and write like that and talk like that. You just want to assume, you know, everything I've just said you are interested in. Let's book a time to talk. Well, let's just talk, leave the minutes out of there, leave the, the quantitative uh, numbers uh, you know, commitments for the amount of time and just assume that they want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that you have to develop a little bit of confidence to be able to do that. Coaching can mm-hmm. help with that. We'll get into that in a little bit. But a quote first, a quote first. Please have mercy on me. I've been wearing the same underwear since Tuesday. That is from Neil Page. Can you guess the movie? I can't, actually. All right, Steve Martin. So what movie is that? Steve Martin in the best Thanksgiving comedy ever made. Maybe one oh, of the only planes. Thanksgiving comedy ever comedies ever made planes, trains and automobiles. Uh, yeah. And, and it's a great movie. I, I love that. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. I, I, I might watch that tonight. So Play do you know what John Candy? Then you're probably you, you're probably not going to be able to guess this trivia question, but maybe you in the comments can. I won't give the answer right away if Kevin doesn't have it. I'll, I'll give you about two minutes to answer in yourselves there. But yeah. what did John Candy? What did Dell sell in planes, trains and automobiles? Oh, you know what? I, I I know this. It's on the tip of my tongue. He is he's carrying that trunk around the entire movie, and it was uh, like at no, it's not adhesive tape. Uh, something dental, maybe toothbrushes. Okay, anybody? Kevin's wrong. Kevin, stop stop throwing out a million guesses. Anyone in the comments, first person to answer correctly, <laughs> first person to answer correctly, we're getting new what the truck shirts in. I will uh, I'll make sure you get one of those. So leave the comments right here on on LinkedIn. And uh, answer that question. I'm actually wearing an original What the Truck shirt from back yeah. in the day. Yeah, we've rebranded. You know? Yeah. Oh, I know. That's, oh, that, yeah. that predates me. <laughs> it predates uh, me, too. <laughs> let's get into it. Tired of endless lines of trucks waiting for your dock doors? First come, first serve doesn't cut anymore. No way. Upgrade your warehouse operations to dock appointment scheduling with Open Dock. Configure your availability by hours of operation, length of time to unload, um, maximum number of trucks you can take at one time, and find out how easy it is at opendock.com. Main topic today, let's get to it. Let's get to talking a little bit about coaching. As usual, Kevin and I will go through some of our methods and questions. Then we'll bring our guest on uh, around uh, 1225. So for me, Kevin, I'll kick this off. I'll get the conversation going. The biggest, I think the biggest uh, attributes that you probably need as a coach would be empathy, understanding, planning, action, and then support. Would you uh, agree or enhance any of those? I would uh, certainly agree. I, I think empathy goes a long way and no matter what you do, but certainly in coaching. You have to understand, you know, uh, where your your students or your players or, or whatever they are uh, are coming from and in understanding uh, as well. But I think empathy is, is such an important tool for all facets of life that, that you can never de-emphasize or you can never emphasize that enough. By the way, by the way, Bob Boosie, he, Bob Buzzy, he's got it first. He says, shower curtain hooks andrew bounces sour curtain rings it is sour curtain rings so a technically a little bit more correct both of you dm me i'll make sure you get a what the truck wow. shirt okay both of you guys dm me rob and andrew i'll make sure you get one of those brand new ones with that sick logo 
But yeah, so a, a lot of these, you know, the biggest thing for me coaching, and, and it definitely comes down to planning, right? Like how many meetings have you you gone to or sales meeting where I think a lot of sales managers don't take this whole having to create a playbook, having to be a coach, having to be helpful thing, all of that seriously, at least in the organiz organizations that I have been in. I'm not sure if your experience is different. Your mileage may vary, but this is between four different organizations. So I'm sure it can't vary that much, <laughs> at least in the uh, Northeast sales scene. But, but none of the managers that I ever had had any real sort of of playbook like once in a while they'd be like i read this book you guys go and read it but that was kind of the extent of coaching and instead it was a lot of focus on numbers right what are your kpis what are you working on right now the most boring questions what are you working on right now that inspires no conversation that inspires no coaching and inspires low effort answers from the people that you are speaking with so today maybe we can talk about some ways that we can shift that conversation a little bit kevin how do you how would you plan for a coaching session with your sales team so, so you do find that it, it falls back on KPIs, what are your numbers? It also falls back on platitudes a lot of times. You have to be aggressive. Uh, what does that mean? I, I don't even know what that means. Of, of course, everyone's probably being aggressive or as aggressive as they, they can be. How do you how do you get more aggressive? What, what does that mean? Even it's such an abstract word, word uh, emotion. But but planning um, planning for like a, a sales team is is coming up with that playbook. You know, uh, finding out. Where in, in in the process or the sales funnel we're having the most struggles, or, or finding each person's individual struggles and helping them, trying try to do as much incremental, uh, you know, small changes that yield the biggest results first, and taking that kind of a step by step approach with that uh, is is the best strategy. Because if you try to go in and try to overhaul the entire process or how someone's doing something, um, it's going to take uh, a lot of time, a lot of you know, confusion effort for, for someone to, to, to kind of really, to, to, for them to do things a, a new way, if that makes sense. We're talking about numbers and techniques, and it's hard to avoid the numbers. It's hard to avoid the data. But I think that one thing that happens a lot of times when when you're dealing when sales managers are dealing with their teams is they have these numbers, they have these systems. You know, they you have your CRM, you have your Salesforce, maybe you have a Gong, whatever it is you use as as your tools. Maybe you have Ambition. There's the data there. The reps know they're being tracked, but they're not exactly sure how this information is being actioned. They're also not sure how they average against it, right? I was never once given a number on what my numbers average against the rest of the team, right? Because to me, how you average against the rest of the team is a little bit better of a baseline of how the organization sells than just putting uh, what usually happens is like an arbitrary revenue number on top of a sales rep where you go, okay, your, your revenue is three times or four times salary, however they are two times salary, however they calculate it within your organization. Kevin, your experience, do you think that that sales manager is doing enough to define data and how it applies to sales reps or sales managers being that intuitive with the data? Do you think? I don't think they're being as, uh, as, as comprehensive as they should be and, and can be. But I, I think even with sales managers, a lot of times they, they don't understand how the, the numbers, how these different KPIs and those measurements actually fall to the, the ultimate performance, right? And to that two times revenue, three times or two times salary, three times salary, four times salary. I don't think they really understand the process because once you have four or five steps and KPIs for, for each, it's, it's, it becomes like a math equation and you kind of have to be analytical about it, a little bit money bullish. 
uh, about it. I don't think a lot of sales managers are really equipped to doing that because they're usually high performers themselves in most organizations, which is good and bad all at once. And it just it comes more natural to them, and they don't really understand that maybe they don't have a lot of empathy for people who are struggling trying to put it all together, uh, people that, frankly, are less talented than, than they are. I mean, the nice thing about data, right, is it gives you something you can point to without making accusations or or assumptive callouts of your sales team, right? You can, you can literally use a visual and say, hey, this is the activity we're showing now. This is how you compare against everyone else that you are either selling against and, and working against. I, I wish more sales managers did that with me when I was doing it. It would give me that comparative data and show me how this stuff aligned with my methods. Because, you know, a lot of the insights I have that I bring to the show come from from bad training and, and from being on that side of the house and not having that appropriate coaching. Like, for example, we never once did like, you know, like Gong, for example, and everyone's on like Zoom calls, but Gong can record Zoom calls and it can record sales calls, right? And it's got other like powerful tools in it. It, it can do transcription, all that stuff. But you can use this stuff like game tape and you can look at what successful, how successful rep calls go down. And you can do this at scale, right? You can do it remotely because your team has got all this stuff, mm -hmm. all this stuff's digital now. Um, but I found that a lot of organizations don't do this or they do it in a very, I don't know, unimmersive way. You know, sales reps were very individualistic, Kevin. So a lot of times mm -hmm. it's hard to, uh, it can be hard to coach us. It, but I think sales reps also are very averse when you give someone a very generic coaching. Like when you tell everyone the same advice, for example, if your sales are down, if you go, well, you just got to make a hundred phone calls a day, you're going to give that same mm -hmm. advice to everybody. I, you are, I mean, there's a lot of people who will do that because they don't understand what actually the, what the process actually is for success and you find that in a lot of you know new startups that's there's no roadmap you know i i started careless i didn't know how to sell it i had to figure it out and how i did it might not transfer over to somebody else um but you see that in a lot of you know young companies whether you're a freight brokerage a young freight brokerage you don't really know what what you do that that accomplishes the goal you can't really measure it and and base it on on you know you do x y and z it's kind of uh, intangible in a way and and that's how a lot of sales uh, sales teams work is just like well make a lot of calls because i don't know what else to tell you to to hit your numbers i i, I have no idea you know overcome more objections and and that's another way to to you know, one of those generic answers. But I think a lot of times it's because the, the people in charge, sales managers and, and above, don't really not, they don't really have the secret recipe themselves. This is a big problem, too. According to CSO Insights 2016 Sales Enablement Study, 75% of sales organizations waste resources due to random and informal coaching approaches. And I think it might even be more costly than that because you start to lose confidence in the approach of your management and your team. And you really start to feel like an island and you really start to feel like you're out for yourself. And those, those meetings, those coaching sessions, they just start to become, you know, uh, to, to the rep and the rep's opinion, they just become, you know, a time sink, a liability and something that they're not going to pay much attention to or get very engaged with. And what, what else you find is you, you find organizations that change their sales approach over and over and over again, like once a month, right? Well, that didn't work this month, so we're going to try something else. We're going to try something else. And, yeah, you lose confidence because there is not a structured way that there's not – that the recipe isn't out there. 
So, uh, you, you know, if you're just going to do things for a month or maybe a quarter and then it's going to change, you're not really going to buy into it after the second or third go around. You know, you're just, you know, you're not going to really listen to too much and you're going to continue to, to, to try to find your own way. And sometimes it works out really well for you because you can find your own way, your own system to, to close deals. And, and sometimes you can't. And it's, uh, you know, oftentimes it's, it's time to look for another job almost. Andrew Bounce is uh, smiling and dialing. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and look, Rob asked a good question. He says, is cold calling dead? And I don't think that's what we're saying at all. We're talking about mm -hmm. using a coaching session. And the only extent that you do of it is to say that they should smile and dial. Like, uh, you know, that, that's the extent. Instead of doing what you could do, yeah. which is maybe get a program like Gong or record some Zoom calls and have examples of good and bad ones. So we're not saying cold calling is dead at all. What we're saying is don't approach sales training like cold calling where you have no idea like what you're doing. Don't go cold in a room if you're trying to train people. Respect your salespeople's time. And, you know, Jake adds further insight on this. Jake McLeod, former guest on the show, he says that yeah. ineffective leaders, right, pretty much the biggest issue is the successful sales individual gets promoted to a management role and they have mm -hmm. no idea what they're doing. And also they don't, you know, and I'm not saying like every sales manager, I, well, I am saying every sales manager should do this, but I don't think it's necessarily their fault because I don't think a lot of people force them to, but I don't think a lot of sales managers approach this job. Okay. You've been anointed. You are the sales rep. You've done an amazing job. You're the manager. Now, a lot of times they don't modify their approach at all. They don't shift it to, okay, this isn't me self individualistically focused. Mm -hmm. This is about a team. And that means that I have to guide and lead this team. And in doing so, I need to come up with a method and I need to come up with a process. And look, you're not going to be perfect or great at it at first. But if you want to like really be worth your salt as a sales manager, then put the freaking effort into doing it or don't take the job. Stay out there and selling as a rep because you're doing nobody, anybody help by 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 joining a team when you, when you have no idea what you're doing. But there's nothing wrong with doing things that you have no idea what you're doing. What's what's bad is being put in that position and then doing nothing to get better at it. But it's the worst, and then this is where we can go back to sports very easy. You know, that the greatest coaches, the greatest managers have not been the greatest athletes. So they're not the greatest superstars. Can you imagine Michael Jordan? I mean, we, we did an episode on The Last Dance. Can you imagine Michael, Michael Jordan as a head coach? I don't think he'd be all that good at it just because he was so naturally good. And so, you know, he knew what, how to, to push himself. And, and how to get that way. Now, could he coach other people to do what he did? You know, I, I don't know. But that's what you find. Uh, the, the, the greatest athletes make the, the, the worst coaches because that they have that natural gift and, and ability. And it just, well, it comes natural in a lot of ways. And you, you find that the really good coaches, the managers, baseball managers are marginal major league or NFL uh, players. And they have to, to truly learn the game. Uh, work out all the shortcuts, all the hacks, and really pay attention to supplement where their natural ability and their, their athleticism fell short. Tom in the comments, he says the difference between a top salesperson and a top sales manager can be as wide as the difference between a butcher and a neurosurgeon. Actually, they're completely yeah. different skills, yeah. se skill sets. There's actually great sales managers who, who themselves don't make great individualistic salespeople just as it can work the other way around. This is actually interesting, though, because when you talk about top and bottom, that uh, there's a HubSpot blog I was reading, and it called this out. Mm -hmm. It said that most sales managers, most like your basic sales manager is going to look at, they're going to want to train their top sales 
sales reps and their bottom sales reps. Well, these guys, Brett Adamson and Matt Dixon, they're authors of the Challenger Sell. They uh, they have a completely different contention. They say stay away from the best and the worst. The best ones, your best salespeople are almost usually pretty uncoachable because A, they're already getting validated constantly by the sales process working for them. So they don't even need that much attention. Sales managers like it because it looks like they're making progress. It's an easy win where they like the lower selling reps because the lower selling reps are bringing down the entire team quota target where what's ignored in that is the 60% of reps, the people who actually are in the clubhouse, right? They're not the ones that are on the outside, not making quota. They're the ones that could be in danger of falling off or could with enough practice, maybe end up in that top 20% or that top 5% of the sales organization. So what they're saying is spend a lot more time and the real payoff is, is from coaching that 60% in the middle. Would you agree with that, Kevin Hill? I, I would. I, I definitely would. I, I think I tried to make this point earlier and probably did a horrible job at it, but it's that incremental improvement, right? The, the, the bottom 20%, you have to basically take nothing and create something average out of it, which is a lot of work because they're probably not a good fit for the role anyway, right? But you take that middle section and you make small incremental changes. Maybe that's a little bit better uh, a technique of cold calling. Maybe that's a little bit tweak and, and, and betterment of sales presentations. Maybe it's overcoming objections. Maybe it's closing and following up on deals, but, you know, incremental improvements to, to push them along to get to that, that, that next level is very doable instead of the 20% down on the bottom and trying to, to make something out of them is, is, is a much harder task to do. Now, before we segue into our guest, our good friend Ryan Schreiber from uh, Carry Direct in Connecticut, he sent us this tweet from Ethan Molick, and it was really fascinating. It, it says that in sports, practice is overwhelmed by innate skill. Time spent in deliberate practice only accounts for 18% of performance difference. In a meta study that looks at many sports and kinds of practice, and it only explains 1% of the difference between the elite athlete and the top athletes. So that's fascinating. We'll talk to, uh, let's, let's bring, should we bring Brad up? Let's bring Brad up. All right, let's bring Brad McBride up. We'll talk yeah. to him about uh, what he's learned being a national champion and, and how sports and uh, sales coaching parallel with one another. Brad McBride, thank you for joining us today. Hi guys. Hi Dooner. Hi Kevin. Thanks for having me on today. Appreciate the opportunity. We are, you are, you're a logistics industry professional, right? You've got more than 30 years of experience. You didn't just win a national championship, then retire. Although that would be the dream, wouldn't it? You launched <laughs> zero down supply. You launched zero down supply chain solutions in 2003 to make an impact in the traditional industry uh, that waves businesses down. And you've also started uh, a, a group called Freight Optics. So why don't you give us your 30 second elevator pitch on on yourself? Sure. Now, Zero Down Supply Chain Solutions, we're a consulting firm that helps clients save money, uh, create efficiencies, and improve visibility throughout their supply chain in all modes of transportation. Uh, as we all know, the, today's, uh, today's uh, system of transportation is really archaic in technology, and that's why we came out with Freight Optics, which is a control tower that is designed for one login access to see all modes and bring visibility to different facets of the organization, whether it be in accounting, uh, operations or customer service. Fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, well, let's go back to um, well, let's go back to teamwork, right? Teamwork, coaching. Mm -hmm. You know, how are sales teams, in, in your eyes, very similar to college football teams? 
pro football teams, any kind of sports teams in general, because we know that that sells is a lot of, a lot of its individualism, but there's a lot of teamwork involved in that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I go back to really two words, one of them be preparation. Uh, people that are prepared and teams that are prepared typically do well on the field. Uh, no preparation typically uh, relies, uh, you know, pertains uh, to failure. So I think the preparation and being, you know, knowing your opponent, knowing that the client that you're trying to go in to, to meet with, knowing something about them is one thing. Uh, separation, you know, how do you separate yourself as, as a person, as a team, as an organization? They all tie in together. Um, you know, not everybody can be the quarterback, but everybody on the team has the chance to be a leader in their own way. And that, that's the experience that I've had on successful teams, you know, that everybody knows their spot, um, whether you're first team offense or defense or, or special teams or, you know, it, it's all important. All three segments lead up into the overall success or failure of, of the organization. Now, Brad, there's only so much room on a team, right? And there's only so much resource, so many resources that you have. So. There's going to be weakest links at time. Every football team has a Turk. Every team has cut day where that guy comes around and, and you know, he takes the playbook away or they take your laptop and your cell phone away. How do you make that tough decision and how do you do it in a way? How do you, for lack of a better term, how do you get rid of the poor performers without scaring uh, the rest of the team and also in doing it in a way that enhances the rest of the team? Well, that's a that's a great question, but I think it all is about support and uh, supporting your teammates and, and, you know, recognizing when people are, are struggling in different areas and providing mechanisms or support and uh, advice on, on how to improve that situation and take it to the next level. You know, not everybody has a great game every every game that they play. And, you know, instead of getting down on people, you know, give them encouragement and, and help them find ways to improve and, and to knock it out of the park on the next opportunity. Kevin, we have to ask him because he just set himself up. We have to ask him, what is the greatest yeah. game that you have ever played? Uh, that, that had to be the national championship game um, with, with Penn State whenever we beat them 25 to 10 here in the Orange Bowl. It's probably, you know, we played for three titles um, over the four years that I was there. Uh, we won one, but, uh, you know, just, you know, having that success, it really, um, you know, every, everyone knew their position. Um, I, me coming out of high school, uh, you know, I was used to being a starter. Um, quite frankly, in college, I never started one game. I, you know, I was behind Brian Bosworth on one side and Dante Jones on the other. And quite frankly, they were better than me. But I still look back and I still had, you know, contributions from special teams aspect. And, you know, the, the ways that I was on the field and, and could bring value, I just focused on that and didn't really worry about the rest. You know, if you focus on yourself and what you can do and how you can bring value and um, excitement to the team and success. I mean, that's, I think, how is a recipe for success. So. And I have two questions following that, and I'll start <laughs> with one is adversity, right? All teams face adversity in 1985. Was it was at the third game of the season. It was against Miami that a future Hall of Fame quarterback, Troy Aikman, breaks his leg, right? right? And no. a, a true freshman, Jamal Holloway, comes in. I mean, that's adversity, and, and we face that in business and in sales all the time. And hey, can you talk a little bit about, about overcoming that with the right mindset? No, and you're exactly right. I mean, I think all things happen for a reason. And, you know, there's, life is full of obstacles um, and full of changes. And, and I think it's the, the people in the organization that, that manage that change, that embrace change, and, and take it as, you know, an opportunity to 
to, to overachieve what, what you've been doing. Um, I think that's that's pretty critical to that. Having that attitude of change, and you know, okay, we lost our, our number one quarterback in third game of the season, but you know, what do you do now? How do you how do you pick up the pieces and move forward? Everybody has to come together as that team atmosphere and and team unity to to overcome those obstacles. You mentioned uh, the boss, right? Have you seen Stone Cold as action movie? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been many, many years. You know, I, I seem to it seems like I, I see Brian on the Dr Pepper uh, commercial now. But, uh, for for uh, those no, of you, uh, for those of you yeah. interested, it's actually on YouTube free. If you look up Stone Cold, that's the Brian. Yeah. He goes, he's like an undercover, he's an undercover biker, right? And for those of you a little yeah. younger, you might not know the Boz, but if you're like forty or older, he was like the wild child, right, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, uh, big name coming into the NFL, tons and tons of hype. Before we even move past the boss, I was going to ask you, what was he like in the uh, the locker room? Well, Brian, you know, Brian and I lived together for three and a half years as well. And, um, you know, and I, again, I don't call him boss. I call him Brian because that's he was Brian to me. But, um, no, it's a perfect example of separation uh, in, in many different ways from not only his character off the field and his persona and, you know, everything that he portrayed there, but then, you know, his playing ability once he got on the field and, and the separation that he made. I mean, he was a Dick Butkus Award winner. He's the best college linebacker in, in the nation at, uh, during those days. And so I think it's really about separation. I mean, Brian's just a normal person as well and, and was part of the team and, and was part of one of the leaders on, on that championship team. Yeah, if you, uh, I was growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma during that, that, that time. I think it was 10 or 11, the 1985 season, and all the kids, they, they had their, their numbers shaved into their head, you know, just like, just like everyone wanted to be like the boss, you know, yeah. and, and certainly in, in Oklahoma. Well, I have but, to but admit, I, I had a mullet at that time too, Kevin, but I yeah. didn't have my number shaved in the side of my head. <laughs> and that, that, you know, talking about Bosworth and, you know, some real superstars on there. Tony Casillas was on there. Um, but there's uh, some former NFL or yeah, future and former NFL players on there. Uh, but but oh. dealing with we did an episode on the Last Dance. I don't know if you saw that bio, but dealing with Rodman, dealing with super talent. We we talked about the poor performers, the store performers, mm. who let's say are eccentric. You know, difficult to handle. You know, some of the techniques that, that good coaches use, you know, Barry Switzer being one of those, who can manage all those, those superstar personalities and, and, and get them to gel and, and work together as one. Well, you're exactly right. And, you know, having, um, having those superstars in that are, you know, the, the stud or stud at salespeople. Uh, yeah. They're a little different than, than most of the other salespeople. And it's finding a way to motivate them. And, you know, to have their, their success and their knowledge, uh, you know, help other, other people on the team as well. How do you keep uh, staying on superstars? You, you have the superstars on the teams in some organizations. They can be toxic, right? They can be jerks and some of them can be great. But a lot of them don't like to, to listen to a ton of coaching. How do you manage the, the superstars and how much leeway can you give them in a, uh, in a football locker room or in a sales organization? Well, I think you have to give them leeway if, if they're successful in what they're doing, as long as they're not, you know, being toxic to the, the situation or, you know, being a distraction to the team. As long as they're, you know, part of the foundation and motivating people in other ways. I, I have to tell you, some of my fondest memories of um, school was uh, of college playing was 
on Sunday morning and watching the game films and watching Brian, you know, knowing where the ball was going to go before it ever even went. So I think there's different ways that people are, are, um, uh, can be, you know, examples of, of how to, how to have proper work ethic, how to have the proper focus and preparation in order for each and every event to be successful. Yeah, watching game film, that, that's something that, that salespeople don't really like to do. They, they don't want, that they, a lot of them don't want to put in the work and the effort. That, and it's part of that, that game film about studying, about watching others, about observing others, uh, really, you know, getting the, the, the finer points. I mean, what, uh, what are some of the game film type of techniques that you use in sales that, that is very comparable to, to watching game films on, on Sunday mornings? Well, you know, I think you have to build a relationship in a very quick time manner with people and, it, you know, being able to, you know, find subjects that, that interest them and that are, um, you know, particular to them or their families or to their job. And, you know, people, quite frankly, they love to talk about themselves typically. And, you know, whenever you yep. get in those, those situations, I mean, I used to, uh, one of the uh, presentation that I did in my past was to the salespeople of a freight forwarder that I worked with. And it was you know, if, if you have a client eating out of your refrigerator, then you can have them eating out of your hand, meaning that if you build that relationship with them, that if it goes beyond business uh, and the, the ordinary days and it becomes a friendship and a relationship of respect and everything, then you know, many times whenever there, there's a service failure or a damage or something like that, you can, you know, make it through those obstacles because of that relationship that you've built with them. But in my opinion, the, most of the, the salespeople and, and that I've seen really be successful in this industry are ones that are able to build a quick relationship with that customer and a meaningful relationship. It, it's um, a, a deep relationship. Kevin and I were talking a little bit about how training is asymmetric for for high performers, right? And and practice only accounted for an 18% performance difference between um, between elite athletes and then a 1% difference between the top and the elite. There was only that much separation, like between superstar and, and, and really, really good. How do you as a coach calibrate your own expectations, knowing that the coaching isn't going to impact each uh, rep the same way? Well, you have to find that, that, that certain thing that motivates each individual person. I mean, everybody's different in, in what motivates them. I mean, you know, if you're a salesperson, do you get up every morning, do you look at the sports page first? Or do you, you know, go online to look, read about sports? Are you looking at the business section and finding out, you know, what's new in your area and what's going on and, and who's growing, who's not, and finding leads that way? I think it's all about preparation and and, and how you prepare yourself. Everybody's a little different. Everybody gets excited in different ways and gets motivated in different ways. It, hey, it's I, really just I, depends I think, on the person. Yeah, I think it's very important, and going back to that stat that Junior had, is to define where you're the most talented, right? Maybe you're not the best knowing cold your position. caller. <laughs> knowing your position, exactly. That's exactly where I was going to. Yeah. Knowing your position and, and drawing yourself to where you are the superstar in in whatever niche that is. And maybe that's part of the, the sales pipeline where you're, you're really good and you collaborate with, with other salespeople and pulling in clients and new business using teamwork. Yeah. Well, teamwork and, and just self, um, self-awareness and, and being okay with the word no, you know, being okay whenever mm -hmm. someone says, you know, no, I'm not interested or, you know, they unsubscribe from one of your emails uh, or something like <laughs> that, being able to, to face those obstacles and not let it phase you. 
where, you know, things like that, it just really quite, kind of motivates me in, in a bigger way. You know, no to me really means not today, but maybe tomorrow. You know, and I, I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the, the approach that, that you have to have in order to have success. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, you kind of touched on it with the game film. Are there any parallels you can draw between scouting with prospecting? You know, prospecting is something that a lot of reps, they go as far as like maybe finding the name and the contact information, but they don't go the next step of like really finding out that personalized information to really sell those cold emails to warm them up. I'm sorry, were you talking to me or to, to, to Kevin? I'm sorry. Either one, but I, I was talking to you, Brad. <laughs> well... You know, I think, again, everybody gets um, motivated in different ways. And, you know, cold calls, um, you know, sometimes that's not the best way to go. Um, you know, there's all different types of digital marketing and things today, um, especially with LinkedIn and um, different things like that, where you can utilize those to, to help better your position and, and create success for you. We, we talked earlier, the, the, the greatest win, we asked you the, the, the greatest win on, on the field. What was the worst loss? on the field and maybe the worst loss in your business career and mm. parallels about what you learned from each? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, probably the, the worst loss was probably to Washington, University of Washington in, in the Orange Bowl when we played for the national championship and, and they beat us. We, quite frankly, we just really weren't prepared. Um, uh, we, we came to, to Florida and, you know, we, we had a lot of fun and I, I'll never forget, I'll never forget going out on a cruise ship where, you know, you went out into international waters, you got to gamble a little bit, both teams were on there. And I remember that year that, you know, us as Sooners, we were having, you know, quite the time we were, you know, having, having a great time. And the, the next morning we felt it. And quite frankly, we felt it even more whenever we got onto the field uh, versus the following year with um, Penn State, we went out on that same a cruise, and I can tell you, we the, were the ones that weren't partying. We were watching them have fun, and we ended up, you know, coming out on top during that game. Uh, so that would probably be, you know, the Washington game, just being lack of preparedness and, and lack of understanding the opportunity that, that we had on our plate at that time. Um, from, from a business standpoint, um, that's, that's a tough question. You know, there's been a lot of um, ups and downs over the past 18 years. Of, um, uh, of running this business, maybe in the very beginning, you know, whenever I had a couple of partners that, that, you know, didn't really treat me right. That's probably, probably my mm -hmm. worst experience in business and being able to, again, you know, kind of suck it up and, and move forward with that challenge of um, realizing that, you know, something wasn't what you thought it was at that time. I'm going back to 2004 now, but, um, you know, those mm -hmm. type of um, situations really stick with you and, and they mold you as you continue to grow and, and, you know, build yourself as, as a person and, and as an individual and being able to, to manage those failures in life that, um, you know, I always like to say, you know, there's the, the rear view mirror is important because it's important what's happened in the past. And, you know, and never to forget where you came from, but the windshield and the vehicle is so much larger. And because of that, the future is, is, brighter. You can control, you know, what happens today moving forward, but you can certainly learn and, and from what happened in the past to help formulate that success moving forward. You know, I mean, my, my shift came for me in terms of coaching probably fundamentally the biggest shift in perspective was having kids right prior to that. Um, 
I was probably a little bit shorter with people. And, you know, the, the term uh, teaching moments, right, didn't resonate with me as much. But when you have kids, you realize how impactful and how much more powerful it can be than just uh, using your, your, your sort of uh, reptile brain and just having this shark, uh, sharp antagonistic reaction. It closes doors on people and it, uh, it makes them less willing to, to, you know, be curious and to ask questions and to try things. How do you parallel that with, with sales reps? How do you make sure that they feel comfortable operating with their, their own method while still using that coaching? Well, I, I think it's all about respect. I mean, there's no two individuals that are the same. And, and what works for me may not work for Kevin or, or vice versa. And, and I think it's being cognizant of, of those types of uh, situations that impact people in different ways. Maybe it's a lot of times it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. And depending on the, the individual that you're working with, I mean, if they can, you know, manage it, you know, kind of a hit in the face and saying, you know, this is really what you did wrong versus, you know, have you considered, you know, handling that situation in this way? Or, you know, it's all about self-analysis as well, that I, I think we all can improve in everything that we do. And, you know, every day, at the end of the day, I, I kind of look back on my day saying, you know, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? What could I have done different that would have improved the outcome of, of where I am? And, you know, the self-analysis piece from an individual standpoint, I think, is pretty critical as well. It is. It's definitely critical, that that self-analysis, knowing yourself, knowing your, your strengths and weaknesses. I, I grew up, I played baseball growing up, always undersized, always had to use you know, I learned the, the real fundamentals uh, to, to get by. And I think that that translates in my life, too, is, is that I always have to, 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 to know what I'm doing and, and really study it and, and learn the ins and outs better than anybody else to succeed at whatever I do. Um, you want to talk, uh, we want to talk about three phases of football and how that correlates into the three phases uh, of business. And I think that's a yeah. great analogy. No, you're right. So, yeah, again, three phases in, in, in uh, football today, offense, defense, and special teams. And, and quite frankly, if you, any, any one of those three can make you lose, be a loser versus either a loser or a winner with that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, with business. Um, you know, you, you've got sales, you've got operations uh, and, and finance. And all three of those are important segments to the overall success of the business. You know, it's in, in one of my previous careers before I started Zero Down is in the forwarding industry. And I, I started that at that company. It was called Eagle Global Logistics, and they were $28 million. Um, whenever I left in 2003 to start Zero Down, it was a $2 billion company. And you don't grow like that without every phase of the business growing at the same time. You can't grow sales and not operations. And, you know, as a salesperson, I, I would always go out and, and I could, you know, beg for a shipment. And I could get that first shipment. I'd get one try. But if my <laughs> operations team did not make it happen, then it probably a good chance I never would get another operation at that. So it really, teamwork is really critical in not only sports, but I think even more so in, in business, because you have to depend on each other. The salespeople are selling operations. Okay, and then you have to have the finance, you know, you, you can make the shipment happen for the clients. But if your finance team does not invoice correctly, then, you know, it's it's a failure in some ways. So it's mm -hmm. they're all important segments that have to combine to, to make create the success that you're looking for, in my opinion. 
How do you create that cohesion? Because in a lot of sales organizations, it's, it's a competitive field, right? And not only do sales reps compete against one another, but then there's sort of that, that op, op, people in operations sit around thinking that everyone in sales is off on a beach, you know, with sunglasses and a, and a pina colada in hand. Finance doesn't really know what either department is doing. Like they're so, they're so siloed out in their own, in their own way, right? They're, how do you bring the, the, the special teams, the defense, the offense all together and, and, and realize just a, a, a little bit that, that they have to bring some of that all together? Well, I think it's sharing successes um, internally with the team, sharing successes, sharing failures. Um, for, from a business standpoint, I, I don't think it's bad for the operations team to, to go on sales calls and, and to meet larger customers. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's not easy to do, you know, finding that cohesiveness. Um, uh, you know, there's not too many teams that, that go undefeated anymore in, in the world and in different sports, but there are those special teams that have cohesive players that everybody it just fits and, and it's right. And, you know, quite frankly, my team today more than ever internally at zero down and freight optics, it's a very cohesive, um, very close knit team that, that not only is there for, for work, but they're there for, they care for each other. And, and they're there as a support mechanism, whether it's, you know, personal issues or, or business or whatever, we're a team or, you know, more so like a family. And, and, and I think that's what good teams are that are solid when you have good leaders. Um, that it becomes a family. Uh, you know, I still to this day, you know, we have a once a month Zoom call with, with I don't know, there's 40 or 50 guys on there once a month. And, you know, just we still have that, you know, having those discussions and, and talking about different things. It's just like it, it happened yesterday. And those are things that you can never take away, that those successes and, and those, those quality events that happen in your life that, um, that are just life-changing in many ways from a, a personal perspective, emotional, or even physical perspective. I mean, it's all important, though. Brad, you, you mentioned leadership there, and you're a CEO. You, you run your company. You've been doing that for 20, almost 20 years now. What lessons did you learn on leadership and coaching from Barry Switzer? So, Barry, I because he's a very charismatic guy. Very, Uh, you know, he was a player's coach. I mean, he really was. Barry let everybody be themselves. Um, You know, you always hear this players' coach, a players' coach. What is a players' coach? Well, in my opinion, on that, I mean, he lets you be who you are. Um, He he doesn't try to change who you are. He expects certain things. I mean. I don't want to mm-hmm. say it didn't really matter what happened Sunday through Friday night, but on on Saturday, if you showed up and took care of business, I mean, it, it was all about a responsibility that we had uh, to each other and to ourselves individually and to the program. I mean, it was built on, on you know, we've won a lot of games Sooners have over the years, and there's a certain expectation that um, that, that comes along with that. How important is luck to winning? Well, I think um, – Sometimes I'd rather be luckier than good, right? But um, I think you have to have some luck, but I think you create luck. And people can create luck by by working hard and being prepared. And, you know, I've always, one of my favorite sayings is the harder I work, the luckier that I get. And a lot of it is about work ethic. And, you know, what are you willing to do? You know, separation from a salesperson out there. Um, you know, whenever I was back in, in my territory in my early days, you know, all my com- competition, excuse me, all my competition were bringing in pizzas for um, <laughs> for the lunch. Right. Uh, but, you know, you know, what about going to Olive Garden and bringing in a whole spread of lasagna, rolls and tea and then not only bringing it in, but being there 
to serve each individual that, that came through the line. I mean, these were some of the things that, that I tried to do personally whenever I at that time in my career that separated uh, myself from all others out there. Whether it did or not, I don't know, but I, I felt like it did. And, um, uh, and, and they sure like the lasagna better than the pizza. I thousand percent agree you make your own luck. You really do. If you're lucky, it's you have something to do with that. You're putting yourself in a position to do that by preparing, planning, executing, just going out there and just like Nike says, just do it, right? Uh, that's right. Uh, very important. I, uh, you, you've hired a lot of salespeople in, in your career. Um, mm -hmm. What are the top one or two qualities that, that you really look for whenever you hire anyone into sales? Uh, Self-confidence. Um, someone that's comfortable with themselves, they're, they're comfortable with other people, uh, they're outgoing, um, they're respectful. You know, there, there's a variety of, of things, and I don't know that one fits all of them, but, but really people that um, just see the opportunity and that they're hungry, you know, and, and that they want to work, that they want to get into the office before, before you know, the clock bell rings, mm -hmm. uh, and they're willing yeah. to stay afterwards. It's, it's again, it's, it's, you know, what are you doing? And what have you done to separate yourself? So finding those people that have, you know, backgrounds of, of separating themselves, um, other, other successes in other industries, things of that nature, you know, that's, that's probably what I would say. You know, every team makes bad draft picks, right? Without naming names, what, what's something that surprised you, like a blue chip prospect that you thought you were bringing on your sales team and it just didn't work out? What happened? Well, you know, we, um, uh, that's another great question, Dooner, and, and, you know, one comes to my mind, I won't mention any names, but as a high-level salesperson that, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, they just didn't, they, they didn't make it happen. They, they, you know, they made a lot of calls, but it seemed like it was, you know, the, the same thing over and over. They really didn't separate themselves. They, they really didn't um, try to create, you know, a strategic approach to um, or maybe they weren't even calling on the right people. That's another thing. There's so many people that, that don't get to the correct decision maker and they that don't realize it until the business is already gone. And um, but that would be, um, I, I think, people that the person that did not make it is the one that you know got a little dejected, couldn't really kind of climb out of it, and couldn't find that way. And you know, it's a hard, it's not an easy sell. What we do, we're, we're an expert in all modes of transportation and being able to go in and present uh, the, the services and being able to present the value uh, that that matters to that person inst instead of just, you know, dumping the briefcase on there, it's really listening to them and understanding what their needs are and, and how you can fulfill those needs and, and bring it to fruition for a, a successful landing there. For, for the last question here, before, before I, uh, I let you go, I think Kevin's still here, but uh, for the last question here before I let you go, can a good salesperson sell anything? We hear that all the time. If you're good at sales, you can sell anything. But I work in a pretty niche business of freight where there's, there's tons of different verticals that, you know, I, I've seen some people come in from other industries and not be able to sell that well. What do you think on that one? Well, I think... I think it's very difficult to create salespeople. Um, uh, I think people either have it in them or they don't in certain ways. I mean, not everybody's cut out to be a salesperson. And that's um, th that's probably the, the, the biggest thing that I could come up with right there. It's, it's just not easy for everyone. But there are other people that I believe can, you know, cross-sell different things just because they are that people person. They are ones that listen to the problem and provide the solutions to that and, and, and help guide the customer to, to the areas that they needed to be in.
Kevin, we got you back, buddy. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're. I, I, I'm back now. I, you I, got I, one. Uh, you got one last. Qu- you got one last question before uh, for Brad. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess it goes back to to, to OU. I mean, what's your, your fondest memory of? Uh, you, we, we have the greatest game. We have other things. You know, living with Brian. Uh, what's one of your fondest memories from the, the university itself, I suppose, and, and what you learned there, uh, maybe off the football field? Well, a couple of things. I figured out pretty pretty quick after I first got there that I wasn't going to play professional football. And, and, and realizing that at that time, it just put things more in perspective for me that wanted to get good grades and, you know, study hard and, and make the most out of it is one thing. But the thing that really sticks out to me in the, the past, um, and it, it's, you know, going to the basketball games there with some of the football guys, including Brian, and be sitting there in the in the stands, and all of a sudden you see, you know, 25 kids lined up down the aisle um, waiting to get Brian's autograph because he was just <laughs> such a star, literally. I mean, and, you know, there might be a handful of us there, and, and I can tell you that those kids, they only wanted one autograph. They, they wanted Brian's autograph. And just seeing the look on their face and, and the way that not only Brian handled it, I guess, but but other, the others, the, the other players that were with me there that, um, you know, it wasn't all about them. And it was about, you know, another person and just seeing the, the joy and, and um, you know, just seeing what it really meant to these kids to look up to someone like that and to really not hold it against Brian or anyone else for that, just recognizing that situation for being what it was and, and knowing that those kids probably remember that for the rest of their lives. You know, it's... It's all about having an impact on people's lives and, and, and not being selfish. I think helping people succeed and, you know, there, there's no I in the word team. And in, in one of my businesses, Raul Pedraza, one of his favorite sayings was teamwork does it. And if you don't have teamwork, it's going to, you're going to have trouble finding success. Uh, the, the teamwork's where it's at. I agree with you. You know, and that's a great note to to end on with you, Brad. We thank yeah. you so much for joining us. Uh, a very happy Thanksgiving to you, your family, your team, uh, and, your, and your clients. Thanks for taking some time out of your day on uh, Thanksgiving Eve to hang out with us right here on Put That Coffee Down. And Brad, you, and, you and Kevin, knock it out of the park. I love, love your program. Really appreciate having the opportunity to spend some time with you guys today. Thank you very much. And Brad, a parting boomer sooner. Boomer sooner, Brad. <laughs> Boomer sooner. Dooner sooner. I'll go with the dooner sooner. Dooner sooner. I like that one too. Oh, and hey, before we go, guys, real quick, I've got my um my Attica t shirt here. You know, all truckers together against child abuse. And he kind of turned me on to this. So I'd really like one of those t shirts you guys were talking about a little earlier, but this came in the mail today. (laughs) And um I just wanted to share that with anybody. It's a great a great organization, and I, you know, please support those guys. Thank, thank you, Brad. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank hey, you. we uh, we have later. about a minute left. So I got to draw a book here. It is drum roll, please. Number ninety nine. It is. Oh, that's Rhonda. It's none other than Rhonda. Hey, Rhonda. Zimmerman. Rhonda, Kevin will DM you. He'll get a book over to you. Thank you very much for joining on this program. Thank you, everyone in the audience, for taking some time out on Thanksgiving Eve to learn a little bit, to get your hustle going, to get your grind going. 
You want to carry the conversation with us? Kevin and I can always be reached on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That is D-O-O-N-E-R. Uh, just Timothy Dooner on LinkedIn. You can find him at Kevin Hill CL on Twitter or Kevin Hill Freight Waves on there. Find this show. Uh, put that coffee down. Look it up on your favorite podcast player of choice. Look up Freightcast. Get every single Freight Waves podcast all in one convenient feed. Have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. Kevin, we got five seconds. Parting words. Oh, we have new audio podcasts on Freightcast. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive to win and expensive. I got expensive to win and expensive. I've been getting out of work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah. Cause when it rain, then it pours. Yeah. And I'm ready for some more.